welcome to the Girls Who Run the World podcast, where we're bringing you inspiring guests who are leaders in their industries. We'll be tackling topics from education and empowerment to diversity and inclusion. Together, let's learn from these incredible women. This podcast is brought to you by Our Gorongosa. We create specialty coffee with 100% of profits supporting people, wildlife, and the planet in Gorongosa National Park, Mozambique. Girls' education is one of our biggest priorities because we know girls have the power to change the world. Just like Beyonce said, who runs the world? Girls! Hello and welcome back to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are blown away with all the amazing feedback and thank you to everyone who's left us a review and a rating. We really appreciate it. So let's get into today's episode. For episode three, we're talking to Crystal Earl. Crystal is the founder and CEO of Brave Souls, which is an ethical fashion brand creating handcrafted sandals and accessories. It's super cool. They even use tires as the soles. So it's an amazing, amazing show of innovation. And I loved learning about Crystal and the company Brave Souls. And I think you're going to love it too. So in this episode, you'll learn about how Crystal founded Brave Souls and her journey into entrepreneurship that way what a social change business is. We also talk about the concept of circular fashion and why it's important to meet people where they are in terms of ethical fashion. And lastly, we talk about her journey with adoption and the challenges that came along with it. So make sure you connect with Brave Souls on Instagram and at bravesouls.life for their website. And I hope you love this episode. So let's get to it. This is episode three with Crystal Earl. Welcome to the show, Crystal. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Awesome. Let us jump right on into our opening segment. And I would love to hear from you, Crystal. What are you most grateful for in your life right now? Ooh. Okay. So uh, there's a lot of things. Number one, um, the day that we're recording this, two days earlier, uh, we just celebrated the one-year anniversary of my daughter being in Canada. So I am grateful for uh, I'm grateful for the incredible miracles that um, and and my daughter because we've been trying to bring my daughter here for ten and a half years, and she got here at the actual like launch of the like the pandemic in terms of being in the Western world and in North American the North American context. She's on the last flight out of Dominican Republic that and um, it was very dramatic. And so uh, I'm grateful because this is I'm now living in a new reality that uh, for 10 and a half years, I had thought, you know, you imagine and you you walk through what you think it could look like. It's not looked anything like that. Clearly, I mean, we're still in a pandemic. So but it is, uh, it's provided me an entirely like er, er, the, the future is, is very different now because of it. So I'm just really grateful. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. That's really, really amazing and great to hear. And yes, it sounds very dramatic. Like last flight out. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's so dramatic. <laughs> but it all, you made it. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's amazing. So Crystal, what inspires you daily? So what are things that really get your creativity going, get you excited about life? What are some things that inspire you? Well, um, 
I mean, there's a lot. To start with, when I launched Brave Souls, which is, uh, I launched Brave Souls in June of 2017 with $250. And because I was working always with, as a single mom and caught in a crazy, crazy immigration craziness. But I was always working with people that were in, that were landfill workers. And, mm-hmm. uh, and there is something that has, that is very profound about learning to uh, recognize uh, the power of your choices, no matter where you are. And so Brave Souls was birthed out of that, of my work with them and of recognizing everything from like what we find in landfills and how, you know, billions and billions of products are they find their end of life in a landfill when really it's not it's not the end of life for them like it's just you know so there's so much potential there and so that has been inspiring me but even more than not even just more than that but and the thing that is inspiring me is the opportunity that we have and that I have had in my life to be able to work with so many people I uh, through my work my with nonprofits and through all the teams and groups that I've led all over the world for years and years um, and helping people recognize the power of their choice. You know, like we, we tend to question whether our, our choices can make a difference and, and it's easy to, uh, it's easy to make assumptions around, well, it's not, it's not going to really do any, can it really do anything and helping people build, build a more cohesive picture and understanding about like every choice that we make is a part of it and we're connected to it. We're connected to what we own. We're connected to our choices. We are connected to the people in our lives, whether we know that they're there or not, there's that we are truly connected. And so that's been that whole part of what we do with Brave Souls and of what really my life has become about has, that's really what keeps me going all the time. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. I love that. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give your younger self? Ooh, what advice would I give my younger self? Um, do not think that those pounds are going to get rid of themselves on their own. Number one, uh, number two, <laughs> um, you know, my younger self did not give myself enough credit. And what I mean is that I think, um, for me, and I can't speak for all women or people who identify as women, but, um, I think for me, one of the things that has become much clearer is that it's okay to celebrate where I'm at, that where I'm at is always a work in progress. And and that I, and I'm somewhere moving forward. And when I was younger, um, I'm in my mid forties now. And when I was younger, I think I saw things as like, I needed to have certain, certain boxes needed to be ticked off in order for me to say, this is good, or you're doing good, or this is successful. And, and I don't see things that way anymore. I mean, there's still measures of, are we reaching our goals and are we accomplishing, are we staying true to our values and are we doing what we said we, we set out to do? But my view of success has radically changed. My view of success is not about, it's really like, it is, it's a much more internal gauge, number one. And secondly, it's, it's um, having a lot more grace for myself and the people that I get to work with realizing that we're all, we're building something together and everybody's doing this for the first time, right? Like this is, there was no practice round. You know, I've, a couple times I've even said to my daughter, you know, one of the things that I didn't realize for my own mom at the time was that she was, you know, when she was raising me, it wasn't like she had a practice round either, right? Like you, you get into parenthood and you're just, 
this is it. There's no dress rehearsal and there is no dress rehearsal in life. And it's okay. It's okay that it's not, there's a, there's a reason why we can grow. And there's a reason why there's always, you know, there's always a, a fresh chance. And so that's been probably one of the biggest things for me that I, I wish I would have, my younger self would have known, but I'm extremely grateful that me now knows it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It's always, there's always things to be learned. And I love that piece that you said about giving yourself grace. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually one of my words for 2021 is grace. Mm-hmm. And I think we as women, not to speak for every woman again, but yeah. I think it's common that we don't tend to give ourselves the grace where we would give to our friends, our coworkers, our colleagues, our partners, everything, kids, etc., And we sometimes don't give that to ourselves. Yeah. And it, I think it's just important to highlight that because it's so important. It, it, no one is perfect. There's actually no such thing. And giving yourself the grace allows you to continue to learn and grow. Because if you're going to stay stuck in judging yourself, that is not a place where growth happens. <laughs> no, it's not. And, and there's, just, there's just so much more there's just so much more space with, with grace, right? There's just, there's so much more potential and opportunity, you know, like I'm a coach as well. And um, one of the things that I, I love about coaching is the idea of how a simple question can change things. And so, you know, we, when we get caught in, in circumstances, we can often use the phrase like, so if something's not going the way that we want it to often our knee jerk reaction to say, why is this not working? What did I do wrong? Why is this happening to me? You know, and then, but, the opportunity to be able to flip that and say, I wonder what's possible for me in this situation. I wonder if there's something that I'm not seeing. I wonder what's where the potential is around this changes how we see things. And, you know, that, and grace provides that for us. And and grace takes the, um, the temptation out of like, you know, like the imposter syndrome when you're like, you feel like everybody else has got their, I don't know if this is like, a, you want me to keep my language nice or not, but everybody else has got their shizzle together, uh, <laughs> except me. What is it that I'm missing, right? Like that's imposter syndrome. And it's like, and it is, it's real. And you can't necessarily turn that off because it's, it, it's there. But grace, like what you said, grace allows me to be able to say, okay, well, this may be how I'm feeling. This may be how I'm interpreting this, but is it possible that there's more that I'm not taking into to account? Is it possible that my perspective on this is limiting my ability to see what's actually possible on a much bigger scale for myself and for what I'm building and for what I believe I want to bring to the world? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. So Crystal, what is one mantra that you like to live your life by? And it doesn't have to be your only one, but one that you like would like to share. Okay. <clears throat> so I didn't remember this question, but I do have one that I, I use all the time. And it is from a gentleman named John Demartini, who has, um, he's, he's a writer. He's a really, really amazing man. And one of the mantras that he always says is there's nothing to fix only much to love. Mm. And there is a concept of the idea of like, we, we think that we want to fix things because somehow fixing something is going to make it better. But maybe if, so I tell myself all the time, there's nothing to fix. I can't go back. I can't, I can't back up the truck and say, you know what? That was, I probably shouldn't have said that. Can we like, can I get a do-over? That doesn't happen, right? Like the the do-over thing is not, is not really a real thing in, except if you're like Marty McFly, but 
um, but the idea of like, so I can't, I can't fix that, but I can love what's possible in light of that. So for me, that's come around everything from like, you know, when, uh, the loss of everything from relationships to just, you know, um, my life was so, there were so many factors for so long because I couldn't get my daughter to Canada that I, I had to rebuild my life completely. And I couldn't fix that because there was nothing to fix. <clears throat> I instead had the opportunity to just be able to love where I was at, love my daughter, love the chance that I had to build this life with her. And that's, yeah, so that's truly been actually one of the mantras that I have told myself over and over again. And it's like, it's really embedded deep. <laughs> mm, I love it. It's funny because I think I was partly inspired by my mom for this question because she just has so many of these one-liners <laughs> that are very much to me, they're kind of mantras. And it's funny, I go through life and sometimes, yeah, one will just kind of pop in. And I do think it's important to have some of them. Like you said, you can kind of default back to it when shizzle hits the fan. Yeah. <laughs> when you're like, oh goodness, what is going on in my life right now? It's nice to have some of these things that you're like, no, you got this, girl. You got you this. You got this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like Marie Forleo always says, like, everything is figureoutable, right? And and being able to tell myself that, so that would be my second, that would be my part two mantra, is that, yeah, you know what? Everything is figureoutable. From the biggest things to the littlest things, I used to be someone who would tell myself, I don't deal well with details. And that was, like, something I would be, like, I was living this story over and over again. And uh, you start a business, and guess what? The details are going to be nipping at your ass all the time, right? So you got. So then I had to change. I'm like, okay, rather than panicking that I don't know what to do, this is figureoutable. Everything is figureoutable. And so giving myself the ability to, to remind myself and to create space around that has changed how I, how I show up in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I forgot about everything is figureoutable. That's a really good book for everyone listening, it is by really the great. way. Yeah. Um, what is it actually called? Is that what it's called? Everything is figureoutable. Yeah. It is, right? Yeah. It's it's very good book though. She yeah. She does really lay it out. And I think that has been something that has stuck with me too in that everything is really not the end of the world. <laughs> like I think you have a tendency, well I did have a tendency to really think that everything was earth shattering when, you know, a little bit of a penchant for drama too. Uh, and it's not, it's everything really is figure outable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Some might take more time and a few more tears, but uh, it really is. And yeah. I think I've learned that as I've gone along, and I'm sure I'll continue to learn it. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. it's not that big of a deal most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last one of this opening segment here. Who or what has been your biggest teacher so far? Mm, my daughter. And I know that that's probably something that people would say – uh, all the time. And for me, it's actually for a few different reasons. Uh, my daughter is not my biological daughter, but she's the daughter of my heart. So for starters, I am not, you know, the fact that she chooses to call me mom every day is, you know, that's a gift for me that I, I do not take for granted. But also my daughter has, she has a very, she, she can be very black and white in her, in her thinking and I'm not. And, um, that can make it really difficult sometimes and we clash, but her ability to be able to cut through things has, has really helped me. And 
to recognize, okay, so this is how you're perceiving it. So it, it helps me be get clearer on it. So she's been my one of my main teachers. And a second one is a woman that I admire and who I never had the chance to meet. She's the founder of an organization in Dominican Republic because Dominican Republic is where Brave Souls is based out of. And Dominican Republic and Haiti are the same island, right? And, um, and there are hundreds of thousands of Haitians that live on the Dominican side. And it's been centuries of, uh, it's been fraught with a lot of everything from genocide to, it's just, it's very politically charged. And this woman's name is Sonia Pierre. And Sonia Pierre was, uh, she was a very poor, she grew up in a very poor Haitian community inside Dominican Republic, had nothing, one of many children. And she rose up out of that to educate herself and to, to educate herself and to create an entire organization that has helped thousands and thousands of Haitian women in Dominican Republic find their voice and be able to advocate for themselves and be able to advocate for their families. And uh, I, it's just, she's been just learning about her life has been so inspiring because, you know, uh, and she ended up showing up in places like at the UN and things like that, you know, and like here she was living this tiny hut in the jungle in Dominican and that's where she ended up. And I think that, the ability to recognize the power of your life and to determine that that your your why is big enough and worth and, and worth giving yourself to has been a really inspiring thing. So yeah, so those are those are the two things. <laughs> mm, that is beautiful. And it's so amazing to be able to have these figures to look to. Mm-hmm. And then also I think to recognize that you have that power within yourself too. Totally. Kind of what you're saying, yeah. right? You do have yeah. that power yeah. with your life, with your why, with what you're doing in the world. And that segues perfectly into what I wanted to ask you about first was your journey into starting Brave Souls. So how did that come about? And for people listening who don't know your company yet, tell mm-hmm. us a bit about Brave Souls. Sure. So Brave Souls, we we make handcrafted uh, sandals with upcycled tire soles and we have, we use upcycled elements in all of our designs. So our accessories, we use everything from upcycled leather to dead stock to inner tubes to uh, um, plane seats, upcycled plane seats from, from planes, actually the leather seat covers. Um, and it started in Dominican Republic and it was in the middle of a lot of things that was going on for me. I was in the middle of trying to get my daughter to Canada still. And I was living every two weeks between Dominican Republic in Toronto every two weeks for no. I did. Yeah. Literally every two weeks. Sometimes it'd be three weeks, but that was it. And, um, and I was just trying to, and my daughter, my daughter's birth mother was, um, she was, I, I knew her from my work with people in, in the landfill. So just to kind of give a quick backstory of that is that I was the co-founder of an organization called Live Different, And we, did humanitarian work and worked largely with youth all over the world, but in particular in different parts of the world, Dominican Republic and Haiti and Baja California and in Northern Thailand. And we've always, when we would be working, we'd partner with communities. We'd work with uh, often undocumented people and um, work with them to build houses and things that were um, partnering, that were easy for us to partner with and that was going to help create, generate a better quality of life for them. So that was how I was introduced to landfill workers in Dominican Republic. And um, landfills are a crazy place. Um, and there are about, I don't know, they're up to, up, 
estimates as high as 17 million people that that work and sometimes live in landfills around the world. So that's like, you know, that's like 1.8 times the population of Canada, right? That all over the world. And of those of those people, largely they're undocumented and they do not have access to anything from healthcare, education, protection from the police, nothing, nothing. They Their lives are defined by vulnerability. And so uh, my work in, and how recycling happens in the world is, is actually privatized. So we don't see it that way in our version in North America because we put something in a blue box in Canada and we pop it outside our door and we think, okay, I've done my part, I've checked the box. Um, and we think that the government's taking care of it, but really that's just an intermediary because recycling is a multi-billion dollar industry in and of itself. It's great. It's finding us. It helps to find solutions, but it is, and so large, and it's largely done on the backs of people who are like the people that I've worked with in landfills, where they live on a couple dollars a day. They are digging through the garbage to pull out the recyclables, and then they're paid on by the weight. So, for example, in Dominican Republic, the people that are, work in the landfills there are largely Haitian workers, and they are paid. They would fill uh, if they. they collect a lot of them collect plastics and they fill bags it would be almost my height like let's say like to my chin so five feet five feet the bags are five feet by like I don't know like two and a half three feet across and they get paid the equivalent of 20 pesos which in Dominican is about 40 cents Canadian for sometimes a day a day's work so it's uh it's recycling is great but there's a lot of inequity inequity that happens in it there's a lot of exploitation that happens in it and so we'd be working in these landfills with these people and we'd be helping them to collect um, partnering with other organizations that were coming in and, and providing everything from healthcare to all the all the things that would help this community I met my daughter's birth mother in that community when my daughter was three years old and her birth mother I'd come back to Canada for something and her birth mother had passed away and that led us on a journey to trying to find with me, my daughter. And I found, I located her again and started to work with the family and she was left without any parents or anything. Uh, but she did have a grandma who was unable to take care of her and just different things like that. So we started the adoption and then that led me to, but because with lean, the earthquake happened and with lean was Haitian and we were trying to do everything through Haiti just before the earthquake. When the earthquake happened, everything, everything was lost. All of our papers were lost. The judge died in the the rubble that had, was going to sign our papers, everything. So my life, our lives just took a hard left. Um, through the process, I ended up divorced, but him and I have raised with Lean together. And so I was, during that time, after a couple of years, I resigned from Live Different, and I was just working at, think, working at being able to be with my daughter as much as possible and to generate income and be able to provide for her and myself and yada, yada. So, but always I was coming back and working with these people in this landfill. And in January of 2017, I walked out of my apartment in Dominican Republic into a courtyard and my neighbor walked out at the same time and she was wearing really cute shoes. And I did the girl thing where I'm like, Hey, I love your shoes. And so I come over and she's like, you got to see these. And she takes off one of the sandals and it's a pair of leather sandals. And I flip it over and she just come back from Cuba and they were handmade sandals. And I flip it over and I'm looking at the sole and the sole is just like a plasticky kind of uh, soul but it was like a lightning bolt on the side of the head where I was like oh my gosh why did I not think of this before because in the garbage dumps are, were tires and tires and tires everywhere and tires are a biohazard um, mosquitoes breed in the standing water and they carry dengue and things like that and so people that I knew their, their kids were dying or they were getting really sick so this was a pressing concern and then I just I thought oh man yeah you know what I think I've seen tires as on the soles of shoes before 
So I, um, I, I, I knew of a gentleman uh, in a village inside of Porta Plata and I went and asked him about if he, I had a picture and so much of my business in Dominican happens on WhatsApp. And I had a picture and I said, could we, <laughs> what do you think of this? Could we put a, a tire sole on this? And he looked at me like funny because I think he thought I was like, let's just roll out a tire and like start like gluing them to the bottoms of the soles, you know? And I'm like, no, no, there has to be a way. And three days later, he sent me a photo. He's like, I found a guy. And he had found a gentleman who was just a couple blocks away from where he lived and he was a Haitian gentleman that was from Port-au-Prince and he was the third generation in his family who knew how to make sandals out of tires. Um, I wasn't interested in making a sandal but I wanted the sole and he knew how to do that and it so I started and, and I, I every I knew that I was onto something. I just didn't fully understand what I was onto. And I put this little business model on my kitchen wall in my apartment in Dominican Republic with post-it notes. And I'd walk by it every day and I'd be like kind of moving things around. I'd stop and I'd think about it. And I came to the conclusion that I thought I could launch this business with $250. Cause that's all I had. I mean, it, I had no money. And, um, and so on June 17th, we launched Brave Souls. And on the first day I sold like 39 pairs of shoes all over the world, just through an organic post on like Facebook or something. And, uh, and then like, and no one was more shocked than me because <laughs> we were like selling shoes. We were shipping shoes from Dominican Republic to like New Zealand and Brit Belgium and the US and the Netherlands. Like it was crazy. And uh, so, and then we just started to, to take it from there. And so when we first started, we were more bespoke where it's like it was made to order because right. we didn't have inventory and we slowly started to build and work on things. And so now we are, um, we're based on small scale suppliers. So we work with very small scale suppliers. The tires are pulled out of the garbage dumps and the waterways in Dominican and they're repurposed into the different elements of our designs. And um, so we're primarily in e-commerce. People can find us everywhere at bravesouls.life. Uh, but we're also, we have a lot of retail partners now too. So that's been kind of the journey there. And so we work very closely with like everything from counting and measuring our impact to, you know, what's our next step that we want to do to build this and we're looking at becoming like b corp certified and everything so yeah Ooh, that is amazing what a cool cool journey and i just love so many parts to your story and i think something that has stuck with me is just this idea that you decided it was going to happen on 250 dollars. <laughs> yeah it's really cool because you don't actually need multi-million dollars to make change in this world. Yeah. yeah. You don't. You don't. I think, yeah. And I think a lot of people get hung up on that. Yeah. So that is really cool. And on that note, I wanted to hear from you because I know something you talk a lot about is social change and kind of what that means to you. So I'd love for you to kind of educate us on your experience with that and what that really means to you. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think social change is a growing, it's, it's also a growing and a fluid measurement of things. So social change and social change businesses, um, we start a little bit different than if we were just like, I got an idea and I want to make money, you know, and every business, when you start, you always want to think about what's the problem I'm solving. So there's a lot of problems in the world and we can all solve a lot of them. But when you're a social change business, your, thing, your first thing you're thinking about is you're inspired by a social or maybe an environmental problem that is your big why. And helping to solve that problem becomes the driving factor. And, and all of your values and your mission come out of that. So, uh, for example, with us in Brave Souls, our mission is we believe that, pe that things that 
that fashion should be circular and can be circular and that people should be paid fairly and that people should pay, be able to pay a fair price. Meaning, you know, ethical fashion has often been seen as something that could be very intimidating for a lot of people to get engaged with because it's going to be so expensive. I'm not going to be able to afford it. There's a host of excuses and reasons. And, and that's okay because people you're where you are is where you are, but our, our mission with brave souls is to be able to help people understand that you can engage with creating social change in a way that is um, approachable and that is, you know, with the power of your choices and you vote with your dollars. We'll, everybody knows we say you, you vote with your dollars, but even more than that, you also get to, we don't see a social change business or organization because a lot of times maybe they're a nonprofit. We are a for-profit with Brave Souls. A social change business or project is focused on they're not trying to save the world but they are focused on helping to accomplish and move the dial in a specific area of um, where they can they know that they can lend either their expertise or help to leverage that in that way and so one of the marks of a health of healthy social change businesses is that they also can show how that change is happening. So a lot of people can say they're doing good, which is where the concept of everything from like greenwashing to, you know, like the, we're, we're doing good, help us do good, where it's really like there's, it's, there's intentionality and thought put into how that good is being measured and into how that good is going to continue to grow and translate for the future. So it is a work in progress. And it, that's why I say it's like a bit of a, it, it is an expanding model. And we are focused on circular fashion. And I was recently listening to something from the Alan MacArthur Foundation. I like the fact that they call it circular-ish because circular-ish is a lot more, that's more of an invitation. You know, like it's like it, everything doesn't have to be so hardcore so that you're judged if you're not doing all this stuff. But if you're thinking in a more circular way, that's like, we're going to use the best of all the resources that we have, and we're going to return them into something else that can continue to stay in circulation in the world, then at least we're moving towards a more, a, a more fair world really in the end, because when we keep things circular, it actually creates a, an equanimity for everybody to participate in. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think that that's something that I can see in your business you are doing because you're able to recycle and upcycle things that would not have had a life otherwise, frankly. Mm-hmm. They would just be yeah. probably sitting there for who knows how long. Yeah. And then the other piece I really love about your business model is being able to bring in these kind of craftspeople and bring in these workers that would not have maybe had the opportunity to work with a business like this in a different way. So it's really, really cool to see. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's a couple pieces to that. So, and that's why we use small scale production. So what started out, you know how there's like, there's that saying that like necessity is the mother of invention, right? So like, if you want to find creativity, you know, if you want to find the world's most creative minds, go into like the favelas and like the barrios of the world and see what people, how they're the brilliance of the human creativity. It's, it's amazing. The human imagination is so powerful, but really, I guess the, one of the great gifts that we have is to be able to think about, okay, so these are the, these are the parameters that I'm working within and uh, innovation happens within constraints. So when we say this is how far we're willing to 
you know, this is, these are the only things that we're going to work within, then we can get a lot more innovative and think differently about it. And so we work with small scale suppliers. And I started out with that because I myself was a small scale supplier. But what that began to, I began to realize is that we can do supply chains differently. So in fashion, you're used to everything being sourced from all over and there's one main supplier that's going to like produce all this stuff. And while that is a workable model, we wanted to be able to have, there's some values that we wanted to be really clear on. We wanted number one, our suppliers to truly be our suppliers for us not to say, this is all we're going to pay you for them, for us to sit down, have a conversation. So right down to my tire suppliers, like how much they, they, we work out a price. I don't tell them this is all I'm willing to pay. We, when they bring us the, the tires and they pull them out of the ditches or wherever, this, this, we've already agreed upon what's a fair market value for what they're doing. And just because we're in a developing economy does not mean that uh, we should be able to get away with ripping people off or getting something for like grinding people down to the lowest price. That's, that's not fair. That is, that's the, the ugly side of, ugly side of capitalism and so when we work with small-scale suppliers we want them to be able to say this is what I wanted to be paid this is what I want to be paid this is the terms of the payment this is how you will you know you pay this and I'll give you your product these are the things that so that we have an agreement and there's an uh, uh, there's a working agreement that we have and the other part of that is you know 120 years ago because it's like what 2021 120 years ago you would have known who made your shoes. You would have known the clothes. You would have known who made your clothes. And if, if something changed, you'd go to them and you'd get it. You'd go to a tailor and get it altered. You'd go to a shoe, a, shoe, a cobbler, and you'd get your shoes fixed. You knew where your food came from because it was from someone else down the street. You were connected to what you owned and where you put your money. And over the course of the last century, we have become increasingly more and more separated from what we own and how we invest our money. And because of that, the stakes for the stakes and, and our involvement in it has gotten so low, not because we don't care, but because we've never been given a reason to care. That's the difference. It's not that humanity is that much harder or whatever. It's just that we've just, we've just, we've been kind of forced into a model of of commerce that has separated us from what we own. And that's why there's so much potential in social good businesses to invite people back to being connected to what they own and where they're putting their resources. Mm-hmm. I love that idea too, that it's not what you said there, that it's not that, you know, humanity's gone to completely to hell, but it's that this is just the way that <clears throat> commerce has kind of taken us. And we are all kind of involved in it. And we now have this opportunity with businesses like yours, like you're saying, to be invited back in to really know like this is kind of who is making your shoes. These few suppliers that you work with are the ones who are actually putting this shoe together that you now can wear. Because you're right, we have gone so, so far from that. I'm lucky to live in a place where I do get a lot of my food locally. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel a bit of that connection, but I've really been paying more attention to that. And I know not everyone has that opportunity. It's just not everywhere in the world. I get it. But it's so cool that businesses like yours will give you even more opportunities that if you do want to be more connected to what you're buying, first of all, which is amazing. And then second, you'll not even not only be more connected to it, but then you have that opportunity to kind of vote with your dollar, so to speak, and say, this is, this is where I want to invest my money. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, in, like I said earlier, I'm, uh, I'm a professional coach as well. And one of the concepts in coaching, when you work with a client is you, you kind of come into it being like where you are is where we begin. So our conversation is not based on judging the past or anything, you know, where you are right now is where we begin. And I think that that's an, that's an amazing invitation to live our lives and make our choices with is like where you find yourself right now. You didn't know what you didn't know. And when nobody's, nobody's going to hold judgment over you, but now that you're here, this is where we can begin to make better choices. And that's where the, that's the exciting space to be in. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think there is, especially in the quote unquote ethical fashion realm, I think there is, there can be a lot of judgment to your point. And I don't know that that's a very healthy place to start. Like you're saying, it's like we want to meet people where they are. So I love that you kind of have a judgment free approach to meeting people where they are and helping to educate them and just show them that there are options like Brave Souls where you can, you know, put your dollars into something that is really helping to affect social change. Yeah. And, you know, we, we find that's how, where we find our, our, see our business too, because, you know, the people that are hardcore sustainable people, they're going to find us anyways. Right. But we, and, and that's awesome. Like we are grateful for them and grateful for how they talk about us and share about us. Uh, and for us, the, the opportunity, the, the area of opportunity is for the people who aren't quite sure how to, how to do it. They know it's not that they don't have a desire. They just, they're not, they just haven't had the option before. So that's an exciting time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Something else I really was curious to talk to you about is your journey with adoptions. It, <laughs> I, I feel like it's often not talked about very openly and I know you were open to talking about it, which I really appreciate. So I would love to hear from you. You, you kind of have mentioned a few different parts of the journey and that it, it was, you know, sounds quite intense and there was so many moving pieces and natural disasters and a lot going on. I'd love to hear how your journey into adoption came about. Yes. It involves earthquakes and plagues and everything. Um, really does. Uh, so I, and just to be totally honest, I, um, my daughter's my only daughter. She's my only child. Sorry. So I don't know if, you know, a lot of people come to adoption. It's such a deeply personal thing. They come to adoption or the adoption journey for different reasons. Uh, a lot of people come because maybe they aren't able to have biological children or whatever. I never tested the theory. So I don't know. Like I just, it, it was something that was, I was always just, you know, I, I was always determined that I wanted to adopt. Everything happened really quickly for me. And so a couple of things around adoption that is that has become very clear to me over the years is that always adoption involves there's it always involves a loss. You know, like that that child in or or children, sometimes if it's a whole family, I have friends that have adopted entire groups of siblings and everything too, is they um they have experienced a loss in their life and there is, you get to, um, you get to hold space for that in your relationship with your, with your child. And so it means different things for different people. But one of the things about adoption in general is that I find that it is a very broken system. I feel that it can seem really intimidating to people. And had I known how difficult it would be, obviously I would have 
been path of least resistance and talked myself out of it too and just turned off that part of my my heart or my mind and been like, no, gosh, I, I will never be able to do that. And globally, there are so many children that are slipping into into not existing on like that they're they're basically sin nombre in Spanish, like without a name or with it, like that there's all this opportunity and yet it's such a globally charged situation in terms of how company countries interact. And even in Canada, to give you an idea, so my daughter is Haitian, um, even in Canada, we don't have a national agreement with the country. We have provincial agreements with countries. So there were only certain provinces that you could even live in or reside in to be able to adopt from Haiti in the first place. So luckily we were in Ontario. And so that was one, but uh, other provinces don't always have the same agreements. And so like, there's just all these really weird things. And one of the things that I found that was necessary, but silly, and this is uh, just me being honest in, in the vault here on, in the vault on this public podcast was that there was someone that would, when we first uh, applied to be, uh, to adopt, my daughter at that point in time was already four years old. She was three when her mother passed and she was four when she uh, started to live with us. We were responding to a situation that was already, it wasn't like I walked into a village and said, that's a cute kid, right? Like that's not, that's not how it happened. It was relationship. It was very relationship oriented. But when the adoption practitioner came to our house, they walked through our house and <laughs> they judged us. And it does feel like you're being judged. They judged us on everything from where the alcohol was to the outlets in the house. They ask you questions like questions that are like really invasive that you would never have to answer. Uh, you know, like in, in Canada, you could be a 13 or 14 year old girl going to a hospital, have a baby. They would hand you the baby and they'd be like, good luck right? Because you gave birth to that baby. At the time when I started the adoption, I was a 32-year-old professional woman who had started an international organization and who had an entire board that I was accountable to, all these different things. And I had to prove to them that I I was going to be smart enough to be able to keep the alcohol out of the reach of like, just silly, silly things like that, that are, yes, they're kind of rules, but they're, they're, they're not. And so we did not have, um, we did not have a good experience at all in terms of in terms of the journey for a lot of reasons. Um, it got very politically charged, and there was uh, we had every, we had right up to the prime minister's office got involved in everything around our adoption. And to be honest, my daughter is actually we've not been able to complete everything. She's in Canada now, and and we have an extended visa and everything. But it's just really really complicated, and it is it's. It's heartbreaking to think that things have to reach critical mass for us to be able to say, okay, what would, what would be possible for us to think more upstream? You know, like in so many things in life and like business or when you're thinking about how to solve problems, you think, okay, this is the problem I see, but like it's called upstream thinking. Like if I can push this a few steps up, what could we do differently up here so that we get a different outcome down here, right? But that's just not happening in the adoption system. So consequently, what is what would be beautiful and amazing is if more people would consider adoption because it is actually the It's such a beautiful way to build a family. It's such a beautiful way to build connections. And I think it's just, it's, you're building the future. So yes, raising any children is building the future, but in, in the instance of adoption, it's also, it's also 
like a, it's an intervention and it's, a, it's, it's helping to rewrite what the future, what's possible in the future. So it's been a really complicated process for us. And um, it took everything from uh, national TV coverage to getting right up to the prime minister's office involved for us to even move the dial a little bit. And that's with people that are able to, that had the connections in the first place. It's so it's, I guess what I'm saying is if someone has it in their heart to adopt, do not be scared. It's going to be worth it no matter what. Um, and, but just, you know, have it in your, have it in your mind that, um, you are, you're doing this because you want to be able to, you want to be able to love a child that you're not going to be looking for what you can get out of it. Cause it's not going to, that's not really what, what's going to become. <laughs> so it's very complicated. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, any journey into motherhood, because mm -hmm. I'm a mother, so I'll speak from the motherhood, but I think parenthood in general, uh, yeah, if you're looking to get things out of it, I mean, you do. And you even said sure. your daughter has been your greatest teacher so far. And I would say my son has been one of my greatest teachers mm -hmm. so far, for sure. Because for me, parenthood really, it holds this mirror up <laughs> to, <Totally> to yourself. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I really need to deal with these things on my yeah. own because this is the way I'm showing up. Mm -hmm. um, so in that way, I think it's an incredible tool for growth, frankly. But yeah, if you're going into motherhood or parenthood thinking it's, you're going to get a bunch out of it for you, it's, I mean, I would say maybe don't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because yeah. that's not how it goes. You, you give. You give and yeah. you give and you give. <laughs> and I do think, exactly. And I do think that there can be so much pressure. So I saw it firsthand in the world of adoption. We had to take all these courses and everything. Like, yeah, like it would shock you to, to think of all how much we had to take. I think it, it has changed a little bit since then. It's not quite as like draconian. But um, but one of, the, one of the things I think that I, I did realize is that when I was in those adoption courses with other, with other parents and families, so many people were in there and they were just so desperate to have a child and the pain was palpable and the desperation was so real. And my heart was breaking for them because I didn't come to adoption from that perspective. I came from almost the reverse where it was just like, I stumbled into parenthood and uh, then everything started, but there was never, I never felt like there was anything missing in me. I, you know, my, my daughter has never been the thing that like you complete me, you know, most times you cause me sleepless nights actually, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, but I, you, you don't complete me, but you are the most, you are what helps to complete the picture of my life in, and you, you give me reasons beyond anything I thought I was capable of like tapping into in myself to be able to want to keep going. Um, but when people come to adoption with like, this is the last ditch effort. And it's just like, that's, it's so much pressure to put on yourself. And that is so much pressure to put on a child and that child just wants to be loved. And they're just, you know, they don't owe you anything. You know, I've had people say terrible, stupid things, bless their hearts you know, about like how lucky my daughter is. No, she's not lucky. She's a kid that has, an, she's, I like, first of all, I feel like I'm the lucky one, you know, and, and that people don't, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, um, challenges around like inter, you know, interracial adoptions and, um, 
things that people just don't know what to say. And people have said to me, do you have any children of your own? And I'm like, yes, I have a daughter and her name is Vidleen. Yeah, <laughs> but thank you for asking her. me. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, me giving you a teachable moment right now on the side of the street is not going to work. So why bother? Like, but you know, like, so there's just, it's, it's a complicated thing, but life and love and anything worth allowing to become part of your story is going to be complicated and it's going to have messy edges and that's okay. It doesn't mean it's not good. It just, it just means it is. <laughs> Absolutely. And there is, thank you so much for sharing a bit about your journey because yeah, I don't want people to be deterred in that way, but I think it's important to talk about because I'm sure a lot of parents have never heard anything about, you know, what the process yeah. might look yeah, like. And it's really scary. And, and it can seem so scary. And, um, and I think that there are a lot of great people out there working in the realm of adoption. Like we work with someone, uh, who is, uh, uh based out of Vancouver and, um, she's exceptionally amazing. And so she has helped us understand in particular for us because of the international side of everything around the immigration side of things. There are so many good people in the world to support you. It's just that it, there's, um, you have to really work hard to find the infrastructure inside of it to be able to build those support systems. Cause everybody is just like any other version of parenthood. Everybody's journey is totally unique to them. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I will say too, I, I don't know anyone who's adopted within their country, but I'm, I'm sure that process would look different in certain ways. Yeah. But in Canada, I think it sounds like there's certain things that would be the same. Like you would, you would go to the classes, you would have the home. Yeah. I think that part would probably be the same, but I'm sure there's an added level and layer. I mean, many layers as you're kind of talking about, but when it's international. Yeah. 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 It's something and actually, oh, sorry. Just, just to say that on a federal level, there are a lot more systems in place to support people. And so um, that's, that's probably what one of the things that I would suggest if people are curious about adoption, look there first. And so it, like, and it, it, it helps put it into like bite-sized chunks, I think in a lot of, a lot of ways for people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that journey. Like I said, it's really amazing to hear from someone who's been through it. And thanks for being vulnerable and just sharing a bit about it. Thank you. So before we get into our rapid fire round, I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge you, Crystal, for the amazing work you're doing in really supporting social change and the amazing work you're doing with Brave Souls. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's very kind. My pleasure. Okay, rapid fire round. Are you ready? Okay, bring it on. All right. A book that's changed your life. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. <clears throat> Do you know the book? I love that book. I love that book. It, it did actually, it changed my life. Yes, I highly recommend it to people. <laughs> yes, it's great. And if you just can even start to understand the concept that you literally can change your entire experience with your thoughts just even that, like <laughs> getting that point from the book is just even that is amazing. Yeah, yes. exactly. Favorite place you've traveled. I think that I have loved everywhere I've traveled. One of the most unique places I have traveled is been <clears throat> in the outback of 
Thailand and Myanmar. And um, I just, I loved, I worked quite a bit in Thailand up at the border. And uh, so it's pr probably been one of my favorite places because it's, it's just, the people there were so, there's so much going on, obviously right now as we're having this conversation, there's lots going on, but there is just a sense of resiliency that's just like so admirable and amazing. So that's been one of my favorite places. Mm. Human resilience is just unreal. And like you're saying, when you go, to places that you can just see the innovation. Like when I was when I was in Brazil one time, we went and looked at one of the favelas and it just brought up when we were talking, the way that they had creatively kind of used electricity all through. It's so cool. You're like, good, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, how did you figure this out? <laughs> yes, it's quite impressive. <laughs> it is, it really is. What are you most excited for this year in 2021? So 2021 is, there's a lot of things. I'm excited to be able to get out of lockdown. I believe there is a day coming. But in Brave Souls, we're excited because we are, we have a couple of really key things that we're working on. And one of them is uh, our B Corp, which is exciting. Um, but we're working on having completely upcycled leather in our shoes this coming year too. And it's made from cycled uh, sports equipment, actually, the leather from like footballs and stuff. So that's an exciting thing that I'm looking forward to. Uh, and I, my daughter and I have a, have a plan that as soon as she's able to travel completely, I'm taking her to Thailand because I've worked there for years. And so that's, that's something that I'm looking forward to. Mm, I love that. What is a lesson that you've learned recently that you can share? Ooh, so many. Um, that there is always three sides to every story. Yours, mine, and the truth. <laughs> that would be <laughs> that would be as early as that conversation I had with my kid yesterday. So I <laughs> but it's true, perspective really changes things. <laughs> Absolutely. Name a woman who inspires you. Oh, well, the woman that I talked about earlier, Sonia Pierre. And she just, yeah, there's just so much for, for me in <clears throat> women that have gone before us or that even we're journeying with now. It's like, we, it'd be so easy for us to see what, what they've accomplished, but it's so inspiring to be able to be able to dig back into how they got there in the first place. And it makes their, their why so much more powerful. So yeah, she's definitely, she's the founder of an organization called Muda, M-U-D-H-A. Okay. Amazing. We'll link that up in the show notes. Well, Crystal, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I would love for everyone to go follow you and find you. So where's the best place to connect with you? Best place is bravesouls.life. That's everywhere that we are uh, for social. And, um, uh, and me, I'm Crystal Earl, but my name is spelled like Christmas a with an A-L and Earl with an E. So they can find me on LinkedIn and all other good places like that. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would love it. Leave us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Our Gorongosa, head over to OurGorongosa.com and find us on social at OurGorongosa.com. 